the most disturbing thing about mental health work is the encounter with children who have been flung far into mental distress by their traumatic experience. It can be hard to be hopeful. But, by acknowledging the depth of the pain, by refusing to look away, we might begin to get somewhere. This is a tribute to a young person I once met on a psychiatric children's ward. Confined spaces. And everything was silent. And nothing moved. And this was the way it had so often been. The rubbish of life, strewn, discarded. The smell of neglect, the smell of defeat. I wander across the battleground to the slumped forms, collapsed. One on the sofa, one on the floor. My sweetly dreaming parents, my ash-faced guardians, sleeping off the pain of their lives. I forage for something to eat. I find a few morsels and retire to my room. And when the waking begins, to my wardrobe, there to breathe, there to cloak myself in the comfort of darkness, in the peace of retreat, out of sight, out of sound. I can huddle here, shored against myself. They will call me to mind eventually, and then they will panic and whirl to action. First there will be rage, there will be wailing and accusation. The door will be thrown back, a fistful of hair seized to tug me into the open, a slap and a kick, and then, like a downpour, remorse. Smothering embrace, wet, salty tears, the rancid tang of dried sweat, heaving sobs slowly subsiding, all safe, all sound. And now that parenting is done, the frantic search. Sometimes a delivery to the door, sometimes the anxious wait while someone ventures outside. When all is sorted, strapped, jacked, we revert, all of us dropped back into silence. Days and days slip past. We are gliding into the dim light. Even that is fading. We are the ghosts of ourselves. The child is clearly malnourished. Give us a break. Things have been really difficult lately. Underweight, vitamin deficient. There's plenty of food now. We've done a big shop. And those marks, those marks on the arm and the face... Clumsy, that's all. Runs in the family. I think we're going to have to do something here. You can't be serious. I don't think we've got a choice. This is none of your business. We have a duty of care. I said this is none of your business. But it is. It is our business. You can't do this. It's everyone's business. The time-out room has very little in it. You're supposed to spend the time out with yourself, contemplating your behaviour, letting your emotions settle, letting the anger subside. But I prefer the time-out room to anywhere else. I want to opt out of time. I want to move in here on a permanent basis. I don't want to have to let anything settle. I don't want anything to have been unsettled in the first place. I can hear the far-off voices from the other side of the door. I love to imagine the room itself moving off like a train into the distance, leaving it all far behind, travelling into the hush of an absolutely still and frozen future. The otherwise is frantic and loud and hurts my eyes, 
and my heart goes pumping and I can't think, and when they get near me, it doesn't matter who, when they get near me, I thrash and I shout and I kick. I have to keep them away. I have to keep those hands away. I cannot be touched. Please don't touch me. But they pin me down, they yell in my face, and they drag me back to the time-out room. Why did they ever take me out? It all begins again. I like the time-out room. I'm not leaving. But after they fail to coax and cajole, after they can't persuade me to move, their hands again, their hands all over me. But now I don't resist. Now I don't lash out. I don't scratch and bite. I just stay where I am, wrapped tight. And they pick me up and force me out into the light and the noise and the never-ending shriek of the day. There's an underlying psychosis. Don't you think it's too early to say? It's never too early to say when the evidence is clear. But still, with children you have to be careful. There's nothing careless about the aggressive treatment of psychosis. No one has observed that there is any responding here to internal stimuli. Are you saying that catatonia is not psychotic? Surely this is selective mutism, not catatonia. The sooner a course of neuroleptic medication is started, the better the prognosis. But let's go slowly. There are no particular physical frailties here. There's a history of malnutrition. There's no eating disorder. Quite a low BMI for the age. Detention and treatment. Seclusion and IM rapid trank if necessary. There's been a good deal of emotional trauma. And that can be addressed once the psychosis settles. OK. And make no mistake. Settle, it will. There's a window. There is a blue mattress on the floor. The door has a panel through which I can see a clock. There is an intercom that they use to speak with me. And there is, around the corner, a stainless steel toilet without a seat and a shower fitted in the ceiling with buttons on the wall for hot and cold water. Reviews take place on a regular basis from nurses, doctors and senior doctors. My food is delivered on a tray. I have been in here for seven weeks. It is the happiest I have been for many years. Better than the time-out room. Better than all the befores. Seclusion. Even the word itself is warm and comforting. However, I am always being threatened with the termination of seclusion. Reintegration, they call it. But I have never integrated. I arrived on the ward, and they gave me some pills to swallow. I refused, so they pulled down my underwear and stabbed me with a needle. Then I fell asleep. I woke up in the seclusion room. I can hear the screaming and the shouting of other children. I don't want to be surrounded by that. After a few days, the effect of the injection wears off and I wake up properly. Then I can enjoy where I am. Then they come and talk to me. They tell me how important it is to experience the company of my peers and to start the therapeutic program. I shake my head. They go to pick me up, but I curl into a ball. They leave me alone and seek advice from other people. Then, much like in the time-out room, they pick me up and carry me onto the ward. I stay rolled tight, and they try to pull my arms and legs away. I bite one of them, and then I am taken back to seclusion. They inject me again. They don't seem to get the message. You think they would learn. But here we are, repeating ourselves. Still, there is peace in between the arguments. There is an empty room, 
and no one talking, and nothing happening, and it is safe. Everyone must transition when they are eighteen. Yes, but we haven't been able to engage. The pressure on beds is considerable. It's considerable in the adult sector, too. Sometimes people are better off with adult services. They're less intense. I'm just not sure which service would best be placed to cope. Start off with a psychiatric intensive care unit and work from there. It's rather a harsh transition, isn't it? From seclusion on a children's ward to a PQ. We need the bed. But the profile? Is this behavioural or psychotic? Or maybe even organic? That's for you to figure out now. Has nobody been able to reach through? Nobody. The poor little mite is just another adult patient now. It was still seclusion, but dirtier. It was still preferable to the open ward. The walls and the ceiling bore the marks of rage. People who had been in here before me had tried to kick the door in, rip the ceiling down, smash the toilet, and pull out the electric wires. There were bloodstains on the floor. But in the end, I couldn't stay. The drugs they put in me were more powerful, and I had no strength to bite or punch or kick. I just lay on my bed, staring at the wall, which was fine for a time until the other patients discovered me. They leered and giggled. They poked and prodded. Some ranted and babbled. Others talked secretively in whispers and silent gestures. And then they moved me to something called locked rehab. I had no strength even to curl up, so they shoved me into an ambulance and drove for miles to another hospital with the same smell and the same words as the one I'd just come from. No insight. Psychotic depression needs ECT. Treatment resistant needs medication above BNF limits. Needs clozapine. Needs CBT. Needs DBT. I didn't talk in the therapy sessions, but couldn't avoid the experiments with chemicals or the electrocution of my brain by ECT. Second opinion doctors came and went. I was wheeled into a tribunal. I was wheeled into a hospital manager's hearing. They stared at me. They coughed. They smiled. They grew irritated. I was wheeled out. My muscles atrophied, and I lost the ability to walk. Most of the time, therefore, I was left on my own. But the presence of people, whoever they were, whatever they claimed their profession to be, was unbearable. Their movements hurt the air around me. Their words battered against my skull. Their faces gawped. I felt the rasp of their breath on my skin. I felt the scalding of their spittle on my eyes. And the drugs flowed around my bloodstream, and they burned away layers of my mind, slice by slice. I stopped eating and drinking, so they fitted me with a nasogastric tube, and they poured liquefied food down my nose and into my stomach. I passed the sludge on into the incontinence pads in which I was wrapped, and I winced whenever they came to clean me, their hands bruising my thoughts, scraping my memories with their intrusive, clumsy touch. We should augment with a third antipsychotic. We'd need another second opinion appointed doctor. I know the procedure. There's been little response to changes in the medication so far. Yes, but we don't lose hope. I'm not sure we get approval for any increase. The second opinion appointed doctor was quite reluctant last time. 
It's just a check and balance. And the BNF is only guidance. I think we should do this as urgent treatment under Section 62 and then wait for the SOAD. If you think that's best. What's there to lose? The nursing team noticed some respiratory problems and some possible tachycardia. Transient. Let's get cracking. My medication was changed and I was given a third antipsychotic drug to mix in with the cocktail. The sedative effect was immediate and I swooned in and out of consciousness. I fell through my dreams and the spinning of the world slowed. Time became a glacier edging through eternity in an icy drift. A tiny pinprick of pain was the stopping of my heart and the blood in my arteries and veins calmed to a soft murmur and then stilled. At last there was no movement at all. There was no light and no sound, no fear and no hope. I had fallen through the world and out into the great tender void of oblivion. They lowered my body into the snug silk of the wooden coffin, and they lowered the coffin into the black earth. And the soil was gently ushered over the grave, and the few who came departed. The body rots in its confines, collapsing into itself. Consciousness hovers, echoes, evaporates. To be nothing, locked in nothingness, is the always longed-for certainty. Why, then, the suffering? Why the long, slow dissection of the urge to be alone? Those who cannot be here will, in the end, attain their goal. Unfetter them, then. Guide them lovingly into the dark. Thank you.